Hi, welcome everyone who's listening online today. Uh, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at Live Point in Westerville. If you are brand new to listening to our online services, I just want to say a great big welcome to you. If you will stop this, pause it, and go to lpguest.com, uh, you can look uh, at some of the information that we have for our church. Uh, all the information about uh, upcoming events, things like that, are all found there at lpguest.com. There's also a guest information button. If you hit that button, uh, fill out a little bit of information, let us know that you were listening in today. Uh, and then there's also a uh, different ministries you'll see at the bottom of that uh, that we support. So if you click one of those buttons, uh, we will do a $5 donation to the ministry that you select just to say thanks for listening in today and letting us know that you were with us. Um, so I am, um, you know, 52 years old. And I remember growing up being exposed to so much music in my house. My mom loved old records of, uh, of country musicians from back in the day. She loved Roger Miller and Willie Nelson, and she loved the Statler Brothers and the Oak Ridge Boys. So I grew up on a lot of that music. Um, and then on top of that, I have five siblings, and they had all kinds of tastes. So I was exposed to all kinds of music, all the way from, like, think the Bee Gees, all the way to, like, hard rock. Uh, classic rock, pop music. They liked it all. Uh, my brother liked rap music. So all of this music was on in our house all the time, either via records or on MTV or whatnot. Um, so I, I was kind of trying to figure out, like, what is, what is my genre that I like? What is my style? And so I just, you know, when you're in a house like that, you just listen to whatever's on, and sometimes you get a chance to choose the, the records. Um, but as I got older, um, I realized I wanted to figure out what my music was. Uh, so I bought a car when I was 18, and in the car, it only had an AM radio. So I couldn't listen to a lot of music, and there was one particular like traditional country station uh, that played traditional country music, right? And it was, in my mind, it became my music. I loved listening to uh, George Strait and Randy Travis uh, and old George Jones and Johnny Cash music and just some of those old classic songs. I just really kind of liked it. But at the same time when I was 18, uh, there was a band that became super popular and put out an album called Appetite for Destruction. Do you remember the old Guns N' Roses album that came out? Uh, that came out when I was 18 years old and became really popular. And all my friends at work, that's what they were listening to. And so they would look at what I was listening to and kind of make fun of it. And, you know, and I would make fun of them. And there was all this uh, you know, kind of back and forth. But I never really liked Guns N' Roses. I never got into that genre. I bring it all up because today I'm actually titling the message, Appetite for Destruction. This series we're in, we're calling Asking for a Friend. We're looking at uh, how God gives the best answers to some of the toughest questions that are out there. And the questions we're gonna be asking in the series come from passages in 1 Corinthians chapter six and chapter seven. And the topics that come up uh, bring up some really interesting uh, concepts that, that we all wanna know things about, but it feels a little bit uncomfortable to ask. Last week, we talked about conflict and this time, uh, this week, we're going to talk about sexuality. When I was growing up, I had a, an extended family member uh, who raised their family in more of a religious setting. And, and for their setting, you know, they didn't allow their kids to listen to any music other than like, you know, church music, hymns, stuff like that. And so their kids, you know, kind of grew up differently than, than my family did. And they kind of looked at our family like, you know, we're listening to all this crazy pop music and rock music and, and all this stuff. And, and they didn't at all. And so there was kind of like this weird awkwardness, you know. Um, 
And we kind of looked at them like, wow, you're, you're kind of like backwards and judgmental. And it's interesting how music can do that, right? Just something as simple as that. We're looking at each other kind of like weird, like this is just weird. I think about that and I think that's how the world looks at Christians when it comes to their views on sex and sexuality. It's like the whole world is going in a direction and the church seems to be going in an opposite direction. And they look at each other like, man, this is, this is weird. There's this tension around how we view sexuality. And so I wonder, um, you know, about that from, from an outside perspective, you know, why, why are Christians so backwards? Why are they so judgmental when it comes to sex? The world seems to be completely comfortable, you know, in certain directions where the church seems to be very uncomfortable when it comes to those directions and talking about sex. So that's what we're going to ask today. Why is the church so backwards? Why is it so awkward? Why are we so judgmental, uh, seemingly, to the outside world when it comes to these matters? Let's take a second to pray and let's dig in. And my hope is that God will speak to us through his word and by his Holy Spirit. Father, uh, you know, we're looking at a difficult and uh, interesting topic today. I pray, God, you would use the scripture to speak to us. And by your Holy Spirit, you would shape us and challenge us to think like you do. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 6. And we talked about conflict, that the people of Corinth were taking each other to court and the courts in that day were really kind of the public opinion court. And so they, it, was, it was kind of like entertainment. But Paul was chastising these Corinthian people saying, look, you're dragging the name of Jesus into the court of public opinion. Don't do that. The name of Jesus is more important than your issues and your circumstances. As important as those might be, his name means much more than that. In Corinth was this young church that Paul had founded and spent about a year and a half there. He built up elders and leaders, and then he left to go to the next town to start a new church. And he wrote this letter back to them. And in most of the letters in the New Testament, Paul wrote to encourage and to teach. But in this letter, there's some of that, but a lot of correction. And then he comes to this next section. And the first thing I want to say to you is this, is that deception is never obvious. So remember, he's been kind of chastising them. He turns to verse 9 and says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he starts off with that line that, you know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if you have been around church, then you understand the word righteous. If maybe you're kind of new to this, you may not understand what the word means. Righteousness or righteous means to be in right standing with God, that you're in good relationship with God. There's nothing between you. You have complete peace with God. The problem with that is that what it means to be unrighteous means you're not right with God, that there's something separating you two, that you're not in right relationship. And what causes unrighteousness is sin. Sin is what separates us from God. And none of us can make that jump to become righteous in and of ourselves because we can't make all of our wrongs go away. And even if you do a million things right, and you do one thing wrong, you're still a lawbreaker. That's what the word says. So if that's the case, then that's who we are. We are unrighteous in and of, of who we are. But it's Christ who dies on the cross, who pays the penalty for all of our sin, for all of the times we're putting our hand in God's face. The justice of God prevails on the cross and it's the grace and mercy of God that prevails in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is alive, he calls people into relationship. He offers them his righteousness. And as a result then, 
those people give Jesus their sin, he washes it away and they become righteous with God. So when he's saying, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That should have been obvious. Everyone's like, well, of course not. Unrighteous people would never inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes through a list of things uh, that really kind of highlight this was new. This was completely typical of Corinth. Corinth was a Greek city uh, and it had all of the trappings of Greek culture there. Uh, there was a temple there called the Temple of Aphrodite and it was sitting on kind of a high point in Corinth. And in that temple, there were male and female prostitutes where basically you worshiped sex to the you know, God of Aphrodite. And you would pay for it and that's how they made money. Uh, but that's, that was prevalent in the culture. All kinds of things that, you know, uh, to be a Corinthian meant a negative term. Here's what he says then. This is typical of the people of Corinth. Do not be deceived. I don't want you to misunderstand neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. These, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers or swindlers, one here at the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, this is what was true of the people of Corinth that they were sexually immoral. That word basically means uh, anything that's outside of a man and a wife. The word there, porneo, basically is where we get the word pornography. So anything that's, uh, that's not between a husband and wife is basically considered immoral. Idolaters, they were going to worship at these, you know, these, this temple of, of Aphrodite, among other temples and, and false gods. They were adulterers. It was normal to, to cheat on your spouse because sex was so heightened in that culture. Thieves, taking things that don't belong to you. Greedy, always wanting for yourself. Drunkards, this is stuck in addiction. Revilers, these are people who uh, go out and slander against others and, and gossipers, things like that. And swindlers, these are people who take advantage of others in business dealings. There's, what he's saying is that, look, don't you understand that people who live this lifestyle don't inherit the kingdom of God. People who are righteous would not be like this. They're separate, they're different now. So here's the question then you have to look at and say, well, why would they have to be told that? Well, this is the thing, if you do a little study on Greek culture and their philosophies, one of their prevalent philosophies of the day in Greece was this, that your body and soul were separate. Your soul was eternal and your body was, you know, uh, was gonna be destroyed. And so you could do what you wanted in your body because your soul is what God saves. So when these people became Christian in, a, in this philosophy invaded the church, it basically meant, oh, I'm good because Jesus saved my soul. My soul is clean and, and righteous with God and my body can do whatever it wants. It's like they're looking at the grace of God as a license to do whatever they want because Jesus saved their soul. That's what they were thinking. And he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That is not the way this works. He said, look, some of you were like this. This is who you were but not anymore, you've been washed of that. And that, that's representative of the blood of Christ. And you know, when we do baptisms at LifePoint, we call it going public with your faith. It's a public declaration of what's happening to you. And when you stand there getting ready to go down into the water, you're dying to yourself and you go down in the water, which represents the blood of Christ, which washes away your sin. Every believer should get baptized. A public declaration, an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Savior. And Paul is reminding them, look, when you were saved, when you were made righteous in Christ, you were washed away. That's sin. It says you were sanctified. That's the process in which you become like Christ. That when you become a believer, you're now in process with the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the work in your life to make you more and more like Jesus as life goes on. He changes you from the inside out. And you were justified. 
You are justified, meaning that you no longer have to try to earn salvation, that all of the justice of God has been you know, prevailed over your life on the cross in Christ. That's what happened. He's saying, that's, that's who you were. This is who you are now. That's what he's saying. And all this happens in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit and our God. You see the Trinity right there. It's, it's God, the triune nature of God working in our life that changes us. So the question is, why would you have to be told to not be deceived? And here's why. Because the culture is always gonna go away in an opposite direction of God. The culture is always gonna kind of uh, dumb down sin and make it sound like it's not a big deal or even celebrate it as something that's completely normal and okay. And our minds, we get caught up in the culture. And, and isn't it true the culture is the same today? Isn't that true? And it's so easily to be deceived. In fact, there are Christians who masquerade as Christians who literally you know, try to tell you that certain sins are okay. I mean, I'm just gonna talk about a couple of things that, that I've recognized in my lifetime. You know, <clears throat> I, I grew up uh, and the, the television shows that were out there were, were very wholesome. Think Leave It to Beaver and The Little Rascals, things like that. Uh, and television changed over the course of my lifetime. In the 90s, there was a television show uh, that where Ellen DeGeneres was the star of her own sitcom. She came out of the closet at that time and made it public that she was uh, you know, living in a lesbian relationship. And she got canceled. She got fired from her job because no sponsor would give money to the network. That happened in the 90s. You fast forward to, you know, to almost, you know, in the last couple of years, she was the highest paid talk show host in the world. Ellen DeGeneres is a brand. Why? Because she's charming, she's funny. I mean, who wouldn't want to hang out with Ellen DeGeneres? She's just a blast, right? But that has changed in our culture. Do you see how what once was frowned upon and looked down upon is now celebrated? And we see that, my kids in the schools they go to where it is, it's celebrated and championed as this is what is supposed to be, homosexuality. If you, if you think to, uh, you know, even television shows in, in the late, in the early 2000s, the, the most popular show on television was Friends. Uh, this little uh, sitcom about these six friends who hung out. And, and as you watch the show, super funny show, right? But this is what it almost makes it seem like. Everybody should be having premarital sex all the time. If you're not having premarital sex with, with two or three or four partners all the time and, and going from partner to partner to partner, then you're not normal. And pornography was celebrated on that show as something that you know, every guy should be doing. Here's my point in all of this, is that the whole world is going in one direction. And that direction goes away from where God is trying to take us, God's standards. And here's the deal, you're never going to hear God affirm sin. One of the things I've heard people say is, well, well does, you know, does God condemn homosexuality? Well, and they, they try to say that that word has changed, but I got to tell you, in this particular context where it says that do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor the idolaters nor the adulterers nor the men who practice homosexuality, that word there is actually two separate words in the Greek. And it's kind of crass, but it's talking about the effeminate side of it and the masculine side of taking to giving and receiving of homosexuality. And he condemns both of them. It's very clear what God is getting at. Can you see how what God is saying to us through Paul is that uh, his answer is that there is a right and a wrong. It's very clear what is right and wrong. And it's impossible to live a lifestyle of wrong and be right with God. That's what he's saying. The whole world's trying to tell you to go in a direction. So what do you do then? What if you're a believer who struggles with sins? 
Because every believer, what's synonymous with every believer is that we struggle with sin. Isn't that true? John, the friend of Jesus, said in his book that anyone who says he doesn't sin is a liar. But he also says that Jesus is faithful and true, that if we come to him, he will forgive us. The mark of a believer isn't that they're sinless. The mark of a believer is that they agree with God. They allow the Holy Spirit to invade their life and they're never okay with sin. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to be okay with sin in your life. And what these people were doing in Corinth was they were basically saying, no, we're fine, we're good. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true at all. You're, You're deceived. Secondly is this, is that we're not defined by our appetite. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for food and the Lord for the body. So now he's bringing up an appetite issue. This, when he's saying all, you know, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, what he's saying is that, look, it's obvious, and this was a, a saying in Greece or a saying even in that church, where if you have an appetite, if you have a craving for food, it's because your body craves that. You need to feed your body. That all of your desires are cravings and you have a craving for sex, you have a craving for intimacy, you have a craving for connection. All those cravings are there and you need to feed those. That's what the Corinthians were saying. And on top of that, we know the gospel sets us free from the law. So these people were basically saying, well, you know, nothing's against the law for me now. I'm set free from the law. And he's saying, well, that doesn't mean you should go and do everything. It doesn't mean everything is wise. That's what Paul is saying. Look, sure, once you are saved and under the grace of God, no sin keeps you from God. But that doesn't mean you go sinning, you know, to to prove the grace of God, if you will. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, but the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Our bodies are meant for something higher than just sexual immorality. Sex is like a craving. It's a desire and it's a powerful desire. God made that desire on purpose. We're gonna talk more about that in the, of what it means in, the, in, in a marriage relationship. But that powerful desire, uh, that craving gets corrupted by sin. This is true of all of our cravings. Things that, that we crave in our life, attention and affirmation and love and power and money and sex. These are all desires we have in our life, but it's our desires that are corrupted by sin And when we go the route of sin, it's true almost across the board that these are the things that drive us away from God and often destroy our lives. You know, I was thinking about how um, almost everyone can identify with this, that the biggest regrets we have in our life are usually where we follow desires and led us into a period of destruction in our life. I have watched in my lifetime people who have gone different roads, who, who all would say they were Christian, and allowed themselves to be deceived by their own desires. I was thinking of one guy who, uh, he was married, and uh, he you know, had, had a young wife, and, but he had a desire to connect with this other woman, and he allowed adultery to take over his life, and that became his life. I, I know of a, a young guy who was a worship leader, phenomenal, gifted singer. He loved the Lord, but he struggled with same-sex attraction. And for a season, he, he, he was trying to walk in Christ and walk through that, that addiction, but he, he ended up moving away from, uh, from that part of his life and he moved to New York City and he found a church there and the church told him, oh, it's completely normal. It's okay, God doesn't care. As long as you love each other, it's fine. And so that's when he started to really indulge in that lifestyle. That lifestyle led him away from God completely. 
Now he may not even consider himself a Christian at all. I know a young guy came to faith in Christ, but for him, having premarital sex was normal. He considered himself a sensual guy. And even though he wanted to follow Jesus, he couldn't give up the idea of of that sensuality. And he wanted to be able to connect with people sexually. And that drove him away away from Christ. I'll give you one more. This is just a guy who I know who would have considered himself a Christian, but he loved to party. He led, uh, you know, a kind of a party lifestyle and that led him into addiction and that led him away from the Lord. Here's the point I'm trying to say. What Paul is saying is that, look, even though there are things that may not seem sinful to you, and even though because of the gospel of grace that, that we won't be held accountable to the law, that doesn't give you a license to follow things because the things that you follow have been corrupted and they feel so powerful to us, don't they? These cravings in us, they feel so real and so powerful. And so we want to fulfill them by grabbing whatever it is that we crave. But it's those cravings that lead us into destruction. So here's what I would say. When, when Paul's saying, look, you weren't made for that. You can't allow what your cravings are to define your life. You can't allow the need for sensuality or the need for, for drugs or, or for, for escape or for partying or, or the need for affirmation. Those things can't define us. We're not defined by our cravings. It says that we were made for the Lord and the Lord, for us, for, our, for the body of Christ. That's what defines us. So if it sounds like we are going in opposite directions of the world, where the world is telling you, you are what you feel. And you must affirm that. You must become what you feel. You must be true to yourself. Because if you're not true to yourself, then you're not your authentic, true self. You have to follow your desires and they have to be affirmed. That's what the whole world is telling you. Go in this direction. And the church is over here saying, no, God is saying, follow him. Live a life for him. Live for something higher than just yourself. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what the the cross of Christ means to follow him. And the world's going in a different direction. Is there any wonder that the world would feel like the church and those in the church are backwards? But here's the thing that I think we can all agree on is that our souls were designed for intimacy and connection. I think everybody would agree on that. Our souls were designed for intimacy and connection. Here's what Paul writes in verse 14. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Here's what Paul is saying in that culture, remember, there's this huge temple that's, a, that's the centerpiece of Corinthian life. And people went up to the temple and that's where they celebrated with, you know, with sex as a celebration to this God, Aphrodite. And that also appealed to their own carnal natures, right? And so that's part of their life. And, and it didn't matter. All things went, like whether it was homosexuality or, or you know, uh, just heterosexual. I mean, just people did whatever they felt inside. He's saying, look, when you do that, When you have intimacy, when you're joined with a prostitute, that's what that means. You are joined as one. You become one flesh, one body with her. And doesn't it it say that all the way back in Genesis? Adam knew Eve. It says that they became one flesh. So to become intimate with somebody is to become one with them, 
to be connected. And there's something in us that craves this because this is how we were designed. We were designed to have intimacy and connection. That's why it's such a powerful feeling in us. And God gave us parameters for it, but it's very powerful, is it not? And it is a little bit different. Sexual sin is different than other sins. It's one thing to lie to somebody or to be full of pride or greed, but there's something about sexual sin that bonds you to somebody. And when those things get ripped apart, it is not the same thing. It's difficult because you become one. But then he uses that illustration that we probably all understand. And he says, in that same way, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. So we were made to have intimacy with the Lord, to be joined with him in that same language, to have intimacy with the Lord, to be close and vulnerable and accepted by the Lord, joins us as one with him. And then he says, don't you know that you're, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Let me explain. In Old Testament, the, the Israelites finally built a temple and God dwelled with man in the temple. And the whole world knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. They knew the God of David. They knew the God of Solomon. Why? Because God resided in the temple. But now he's saying that, don't you know that you are the temple now? No more temple in a place, the temple in humanity. The Holy Spirit, when you become one with the Lord, he puts his Holy Spirit in you. You can't go and do, hang out with you know, these sins because you're sinning against the body and that body is now a temple. He says, don't you understand? You're not your own anymore. You were purchased at a price. And I gotta tell you, that price was costly. We're talking about the son of God sacrificing his life, shedding his blood to pay for sinners to come to become one with the father. We were made for this. We were made for intimacy and connection. This is the problem. Intimacy and connection with God feels like a million miles away. And our desire for intimacy and connection feels right now and powerful. And so we look for any which way to fulfill that need for intimacy and connection. And we find ways to fill it. The problem is those ways never truly fulfill. We look for different ways and, and people have different cravings. I understand that we're all, you know, we all have different propensity for sin, but we're longing for that intimacy and connection that's supposed to be found in Christ. So then how, how do we find hope? Like if you've ever struggled with sin and I'm guessing everyone who's listening has been broken by sin in some way, shape or form. Most all of us have felt uh, the sting of sexual sin in our life and the effect it's had on us. Where do we go? This is what I think Christ is saying. Come to me, you who are weary and find life burdensome. As life burdens us, we tend to look for outlets to escape and intimacy with somebody, however it's found in whatever form, we, we go in that direction because it's a numbing effect. It's a, it's a short elation, uh, a connection that we want and desire. And we believe that's gonna make us feel better in a world that's difficult and hard. The problem is that that tends to take us away from God. Sometimes, you know, God gives it to us in the right relationship of a marriage, a man and a wife. And even that we can put into idolatry. We can make sex out to be the, the most important thing in our lives. And it you know, becomes a struggle even in marriage. But Christ saying, no, look, this I meant for you as a, as something that is beautiful and it's a gift and it's powerful, but it's all a foreshadowing to something deeper and more intimate than you've ever imagined. Can I tell you what I've learned about this? That as I've grown in Christ, 
Uh, I used to think that, that my relationship with God was basically, uh, I need to try to do the right things so that God is cool with me, right? And if I do the right things long enough, then he's gonna affirm or approve of my life and make my life better. I used to think that's what it meant to be a Christian. And I don't wanna do wrong things. And if I do wrong things, I'm gonna do some right things to make up for it so that God is cool with me. I had no idea that God wanted so much more for me, that God wanted genuine relationship with me. He wanted me to be close to him. And as I've, I've started to really follow him with my life, I started to experience him through prayer. I would, I would pray and God would answer prayers. And I think, how is the God of the universe answering this prayer? And why is he answering this prayer for me? Like, I know who I am. I know how sin has broken my life in different ways. Why would God answer these prayers? I see how God started to use my life. That as the word of God started to become more prevalent in my heart, I was able to minister to others. And God started to, to help other people to come in contact with him because of what he was doing in my life. And I kept thinking, God, why would you use me though? But there's nothing more dynamic, more powerful than God speaking to you, answering your prayers and using your life. But it's even deeper than that. God spoke to my soul, deep into my soul. There was a time, a season of my life, I was just going through depression. Some things that happened in my life that, that caused a lot of wounding, a lot of struggles, and I'm sure everyone can identify with struggles and woundedness in their life. And I really just, I felt kind of hopeless. And I remember over the season of, of several months, just praying and saying, God, you know, are you ever gonna lift this? It's, you know, and he did. He brought uh, to mind a passage in Leviticus 3 that talks about how, that he was talking to the Israelites and how he was allowing the Israelites to be destroyed and taken into captivity. But he told them, look, but my merciful, my love and steadfast kindness is, is forever to you. And he said that the heart of God doesn't long, you know, for men to be suffering. That's not his heart for us. And I remember just the Holy Spirit just speaking that over my life, that even what I was experiencing in that moment, God was gonna use it for a purpose, but his heart wasn't in it in my life. And I needed, I needed my God to speak directly to my soul to lift all that. Here's what I'm telling you today, that though the desires you have are powerful within you, but if that becomes your lifestyle, then that's a trigger to your soul to let you know, maybe I'm not right with God. Like if you're okay with sin, if that, uh, the, you know, these sins are habitual and just this is what your life is all about, you would say it's really your identity, then there's probably a great chance that you are not right with God at all. A signal to your soul that you're right with God is that your sin alarms you, that there's something wrong. You're never gonna be okay with it. You're willing to battle through it and ask for forgiveness and, and allow the sanctification process to play out in your life as he makes you more and more like Christ. That is cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And we walk in that as difficult as that road is. But here's what I would say. He wants more for us than we want for ourselves. And why are Christians sometimes so backwards and judgmental? Well, I get the backwards part because we're opposite. We're opposite of the world. The judgmental part is the problem. Christians have done a really poor job of being judgmental to the world. The, the Bible calls it, and Jesus talked about how we should be full of grace and seasoned with salt. So think of it as the grace of God and salt would be the truth of God. And I think what we do as Christians is that we look at other people and their behaviors. We look at the way that they struggle and we wanna pour salt on them and judge them and point at them and say, you're what's wrong with the world. You're what's wrong with society. You're what's wrong between you and God. And then we just dump salt on them without ever giving them grace. And the truth is, deep down, we know that we've all sinned and we try to elevate certain sins, like particularly homosexuality. We're like, oh, that's the worst sin. But it's equal to greed. 
It's equal to lust. It's equal to looking at pornography. It's equal to, uh, you know, uh, slandering people and gossiping. It's the same thing. All sin separates us from God. And somehow Christians choose one sin above another and just kind of flamethrow them with the salt, the truth of God, without the grace of God connected. So here's what I would say to the believers in the room who are listening is allow the grace of God to be the prevalent part of your heart. Understand that everyone is, uh, has dignity, that everyone is valuable. They may disagree with you. They may live a different lifestyle than you, but understand that Jesus Christ is willing to pay with his life for that person. That means that person is incredibly valuable. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle is or what their belief is or how they vote or what they say or how much they you know, rail against you. Jesus absolutely loves them. And the grace of God should be prevalent in our speech and in our action towards everybody who opposes our views. That doesn't mean we don't share the grace of God. We don't share the truth of God without the grace. I would say to parents who have loved ones in their life, uh, whether you're a sibling or you're a parent and you have someone who's going into a, a different direction away from God, no matter what the sin is, I just wanna encourage you to be patient and to pray. Live a life so close to Jesus. Allow his Holy Spirit to sanctify your life in such a way that when they are ready, you are present with the love of grace and the truth at the same time to help them see why God is changing your life. Be prayerfully expectant that God is gonna do something in their life and be patient. And can I, can I just take a second and address those who struggle with same-sex attraction? If you are listening in and that is your struggle, I want you to know that you, you are not a mistake. God didn't break you. He didn't, he didn't make you to be this broken. It, he, didn't, uh, he didn't try to destroy your life. Everyone has a different propensity for sin, different ways that, uh, that sin appeals to us. And in your particular case, it's difficult. I want you to know that God absolutely loves you he considers you incredibly valued and he's willing to pay the penalty for all the sins in your life, no matter what they are. But I would say to you that there is hope for you. I have walked with many people who I love dearly, who've, who have the same sin, the same attraction to the same sex. Understand that you are meant for more than just physical elation and connection on this earth, that you are meant for something deeper. I just wanna say to you that he loves you and you can come to him and allow him to start working his truth and grace into your life. I'm gonna, uh, you know, if, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to give you some connection of different resources you can look at. I'm edt at lifepointohio.com. I'd love to help you or pray for you or get you connected to the right people. Uh, but I wanna say to you, you're not, you're not broken, uh, that you are simply in a state of brokenness and God wants you to come close. He has answers for your life. Can I just say, just as we kind of wrap up that, all of us sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. He wants us to come close to him. Jesus paid for us on the cross. And wherever you're at in your sin, uh, sin has a way of kind of deceiving us and getting us to go away from God. Allow that sin to go before God today and just surrender to him. Just say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my sin to you today. No matter where it's been leading, no matter which one it is, you turn around and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm giving this to you. Forgive me of my sin. I wanna lead a life that represents who you are. Lord, let your Holy Spirit shine in me and change me from the inside out. God, I pray for all those who are listening and you would work in and through our lives. Grow us close and tight with you, God. Forgive our sins. 
Lord, and, and help us to walk in a way that reflects your glory in our life. If you are listening and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, tell him right now, say, God, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. And say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I want to follow you. Will you please have me? Will you lead my life? Help me take steps with you of faith, but will you please walk with me and guide me as I do that? Just tell him that. You need to know that little step of faith, that position of your heart and humility to say to him, I'm sorry, but sin doesn't define me. I want you to forgive me, Jesus. I want you to follow. I want you to lead me. When you say that to him, that's what makes you right with the Father. God, I pray for anyone who are taking first steps with you, that you would walk with them, that your Holy Spirit would burn bright in them and they would start to sense your joy and your peace and your love and your gentleness and your kindness and your self-control. Help them to feel that in their life. And God, I pray that you put people in their life that can help them walk in this. And I ask your, all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at edt at lifepointohio.com. I'd be happy to help uh, walk with you or connect uh, you to the right person uh, if I can. Love you. Till next time. God bless.